This episode of Vintage Stormfront Freaks has been previously recorded. Jay Allen is a production director with CBS Radio and a transistor radio expert. So first and foremost, Jay, welcome to the show. Welcome. Cool. Thank you Yay. Very much. You'll get no resistance from us, Jay. Electronics <laughs> joke. I get it. I get it. So um, so the, the point of having Jay on is this show is as we're nearing the holiday shopping season. Uh, this particular show, we're actually going to be talking about a number of different weather products, uh, but specifically. Uh, obviously weather radios are a big part of that and so uh, we wanted to have Jay on because he's a he's got a, a big long-standing history with transistor radios and such but I guess first and foremost Jay give our listeners an idea of your background and how you became a transistor radio buff well I think I started out as a nerd uh, and that was uh, because I really loved my transistor radio as a kid more than probably anything else uh, and you know Back in, in those days, in the late 50s and early 60s, transistor radios, you know, everyone had them and everyone loved them. And they were things of beauty sometimes. And it was exciting to me to be able to listen to faraway stations at night that most people weren't aware even existed. Uh, and from there, it was just it was a lifelong passion of getting better and better radios. And as an adult, I can now obtain radios I couldn't afford back then. And uh, it's just been a lifelong hobby for me. Wait a minute, wait a minute, 50s and 60s? I thought you were 39, Jay. Yeah, just like Jack Benny. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I, I was 39 about, let's say, 28 years ago. Wow. We're, we're going to have to. Yeah, we'll have to for our, um, our Stormfront Freaks Raw. Uh, we'll have to have you on one of the breaks. Just quick walk us through your, your beautiful museum you have in your home of some of your radios because uh, – gave me a sneak peek of that and, and that was great sure. so I, I guess let us know what maybe you know a little bit of the the history or evolution of weather radios where you know how the weather band where did that start when did radio start to include that yeah well basically uh there were some bad tornadoes in 1965 in the great lakes area and the uh national weather service decided they needed to find a better way to alert the public to impending uh, severe weather. Uh, and they started a temporary service in the 60s, but around 1970, they developed something close to the current system, the, the NOAA uh, weather band. And they started first with one frequency, 162.550 megahertz, but today there are seven frequencies all in that general area. Uh, and, you know, as early as the 70s, Radio Shack sold weather cube radios, which you could sit on your desk for 1995. Uh, and they've been very affordable to this day. Uh, you know, if you do a Google search right now for NOAA weather radio or weather radio, you can find workable radios beginning under $20. You know, and it's an interesting thing. Now, I, you know, I live in an inland area and I'm, you know, in Connecticut. We don't have a lot of severe weather, although we can have blizzards and you know, severe storms. But in the summertime, I find weather radio is interesting just to know what the weather's going to be in more detail than I can get from, you know, normal radio and TV stations. So I find it enjoyable, especially in the summer, uh, to listen to the NOAA station for 15 minutes. Then I really know what's going on in my area. 15 minutes, that's impressive. 
Well, they're they're they're, uh, they're um, you know, they're computer generated voices. Some are male, <laughs> yeah. some are female. They have trouble pronouncing the local streets and towns sometimes. But um, basically, the information repeats, and depending on some stations repeat a loop as short as five minutes. Some that cover wider areas. For instance, where I live, one of the stations I can receive covers um, Long Island Sound. Those loops can be 10 or 12 or 15 minutes before you have heard all the information and it begins to repeat. That's where, like, the horoscope ends up in there, too, right? <laughs> the wave height is six feet. Waves are six feet, and if you're a Sagittarius. You know, and the other thing that's interesting about weather radio, there, there are – a couple thousand of these stations around the country and they generally have about a 40 mile radius depending on your local terrain but in my area because i happen to be kind of at a high elevation i'm near the top of a hill i can receive four different uh NOAA weather stations and they cover different areas but interestingly the one that covers my area is not the one that's closest to me and it's a little bit difficult to receive so that's that's kind of unusual did Jay just say he's high on a hill? Is that what he said? <laughs> Whoa! I thought I heard that. So what, Tim, what, what are some of the features, Jay? Because obviously um, when they f- first were produced, it was really just a radio that could receive the signal. What, what have you seen now over the years? Because I know you, you, keep, you continue to keep up on, on radios. What have you noticed as far as features and, and what do we see now? Well, one thing I will say is that back in those days, other than the dedicated weather radios, such as that Radio Shack Weather Cube uh, that I mentioned, there were a lot of uh, multiband radios that were, you know, AM and shortwave, such as the Zenith Transoceanic radios, which are very popular. Uh, and the later transistorized models of those covered the high-frequency bands that, that encompassed the NOAA weather frequencies and, and several other frequencies. Uh, but those radios were not very sensitive. The transoceanics that I have can barely receive the signals that come in like locals on modern radios. And that's because in those days, very high-frequency reception like this was a little bit more difficult to obtain in a portable unit than it is today. Uh, the sophistication of electronics has improved, so now a $20 weather radio can receive better than my, let's say, 1968 Zenith Transoceanic. Uh, and so, you know, there, there were those multiband radios. Sometime in the 80s or 90s, uh, they began to get better reception. And today, it's interesting, I have probably eight or nine radios which, which happen to cover the weather band. I don't have any dedicated weather radios, but I have shortwave radios that include weather band or AM radios that include weather band. And most of them receive pretty much identically. There's not a big difference in weather band reception. Um, and the main feature that they have now is the alert function, which is really good if you're, uh, you know, on the water or in a, you know, storm prone area, you know, if tornadoes are forecast and you want to have an early alert, these radios can be put into alert mode. Uh, and in that mode, the radio is not playing, it's silent, but it's actually listening for an emergency alert tone. And if one is sent, then the radio wakes up and alerts you. You can either have a siren or just have the audio. Uh, and that can be a real lifesaver, you know, if you're in a, you know, a really storm-prone area. The one thing that I would say is that there are a lot of battery-operated weather radios, but if you want to use the alert function, it's better to have one that plugs into external power because in the alert mode, the radio is actually on and receiving 24/7, and it wouldn't take more than a day or two for your batteries to be depleted. So if you, you know, if you're going to want 
radio that has the alert function and you're going to use it with any regularity, get a radio that uses external power in addition to batteries as a backup. I also like the alert function because if you want to sleep and only be awakened if it's in <laughs> your area, that's nice. Yeah, true. yeah very true. Exactly. I, had, I had the old Radio Shack one from like 1980 and it went off for like every single thing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All 20 kilometers in the area, 100 miles away. <laughs> so, Jay, how reliable are, are the radios? Do, is there ever a time where, you know, the, the interference might um, cause them to go out or something like that, or the signal might not get through? What are kind of those instances? Does that happen? Well, I, I think you kind of have to get a feel for what the normal reception is like in your area. Uh, as I said earlier, I can receive several of the NOAA weather frequencies. There were seven different frequencies, and I can receive four, sometimes five of them. Uh, the one that I listen to most often is not a very strong signal, so some days it's a little bit clearer than others, uh, but it's always there. Uh, and because it's a very high frequency, you know, in 162 megahertz range, FM signal, it's not bothered by atmospheric conditions as much as AM or shortwave would be. So they're generally fairly reliable, but if you have a very marginal signal, I guess I wouldn't feel as safe as if I had a stronger station near me. Um, one thing I can also say uh, is because the, the frequency is so high, again, they're from 162.4 megahertz up to 162.5 megahertz, whereas shortwave, for instance, ends at 30 megahertz. Sometimes you get better reception by shortening the whip antenna on the radio. Uh, if okay. it's an FM radio or shortwave radio, you have an antenna that extends to three, four, or five feet. But I found that sometimes something close to 12 or 18 inches will actually improve the reception of the NOAA frequency, so you can experiment with that. Okay. What, so um, I, I guess when, you're, when people are looking for a weather radio, let's say – they're deciding, yeah, I, I need to get one or I should get one for a family member or friend. Uh, I guess what are the different ones to look for? Um, well, there are many major trees and such, yeah. I mean, you know, there are very familiar brands such as Kato, K-A-I-T-O, USA. Uh, First Alert is one. Sanjin makes many. Uh you know, Midland uh, is a variable company. They have some fairly cheap things, but they have some good ones too. And some of the, you know, the, the catalog places like L.L. Bean will have some emergency radios, which usually have weather band. Um, you know, but generally, I guess I would just avoid the very cheapest radios because the main differences in them is going to be the build quality. And you can just tell when you pick something up if it's really flimsy plastic or if it feels a little more solid. So I probably wouldn't buy that 1799 ambient weather radio that I found on, uh, uh, on Amazon. But, you know, if you spend 20 30 or $40 for an emergency radio or a desktop radio, it, it should be fine. Uh, you know, just learn it, use it, get the feel for it before you're in an emergency situation, and you'll have some confidence. What do you Good. think about the ones where you can actually, like, uh, if you're out camping, you can do the crank, and it generates, you know, you as you crank it, it generates its own battery power? Emergency radios, I have several of those, too, and, you know, I think one of the prime values of those, well, the, the, the two main things about emergency radios are you could store one away for 10 years and know that it would be there when you needed it because you wouldn't have to worry about the batteries having gone dead or leaked after 10 years, and they can also charge a cell phone, so if you don't have the ability to charge a cell phone in any other way, if your power was out, uh, that could be a really you know, a life-saving thing. In general, the, the so-called emergency radios, which are the hand crank, 
uh, solar radios are very minimalist radios. If you buy any regular radio that costs, let's say, $40 or $50 or more, it's liable to be a better sounding radio, have better reception on the various bands, even though the weather band doesn't vary as much as the FM reception does on modern radios. Uh, so basically, I consider the emergency radios you know, really devices, but they're seldom really fine radios. They're, they're basic radios. Do you live in an earthquake zone? That's what I'm just curious. <laughs> <laughs> Not unless I fall out of bed. Um, no, normally it's pretty <laughs> All right. You live in a swing. I love your, your video is all moving, and I'm like, I'm getting nauseous. Well, Jay, let's uh, Let's do this first and foremost uh, before we move on. What What's the best way if listeners have questions? Because obviously the, you're a breadth of information when it comes to, you know, not only weather radios, but but any kind of, you know, transistor, small personal radio. What's the best way if they have a question or want to get in touch with you that they can do that? Well, you can email me uh, through my website at radiojallen at gmail.com. That's J-A-Y-A-L-L-E-N, Radio J. Allen at gmail.com. Uh, and I invite you to go to my website, too, which is RadioJAllen.com, and you can see the radios that I've reviewed, see some of my collection. You can ask me questions and uh, get in touch with me that way. Jay is a cool dude. I'll tell you, Jay Bam's artistic work is inspired by landscapes, sky, water, ice, and especially of his home, Alberta. Now, in 2017, Jay actually worked with six storm chaser photographers and accompanied each of them on a chase. Now, post-chase, they chose a photograph that was iconic of that chase. And then he then began to interpret each of these photographs on a large canvas. And I guess the rest is history at this point, Jay. I mean, you guys, you have to go to his website and check this out. Some incredible work. And Jay, how did you get, how did how did you get to where you wanted to go out with chasers and do this? I guess is the first question. Well, I got interested. Uh, I had a, um, a guy named Miles McIntosh, who's actually worked at Environment Canada here in Edmonton. And I met him at a show and he said, your art reminds me of the math of the weather. And wow. I said, what? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so drinking? It, it was a super slow show. So we spent about an hour talking about it. And he, uh, Miles actually specialty is uh, upper atmosphere um, moisture. Uh, and he said, you know, you really should think about developing this. So I, in, I guess, October of 2016, um, ChaserCon Canada uh, was in Edmonton here where I am. And so I decided just on a whim, I should go and just check it out. I didn't, I'd, I'd followed a few um, storm chasers from Alberta um, and I knew they were gonna be at the, the ChaserCon. So I went and it was pretty amazing that uh, Reed Timmer was the keynote speaker. Um, oh, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, he he was great. I mean, anyone who's ever seen Reed do a keynote, it's pretty exciting stuff. <laughs> and at that uh, time, I actually just uh, did some sketches, and then I came home and thought about it. But one the the key thing was uh, a guy named Jeff Wallace came up to me at the ChaserCon and said, "If you really want to 
paint storms, you have to go out. You gotta experience mm. the wind, the rain, the all of the stuff. And he was absolutely right. So they had, they had you stand in the hail, didn't they? And no, actually. <laughs> so what happened was I, I came home and I did a couple of sort of test pieces based on what I'd done at the sketches at the at ChaserCon. And uh, then I just sent out emails and Twitter direct messages to people and said, hey, do you want to be part of this project? I sent, I think I sent about eight or nine and I, I had immediately six people that How, said how'd you yeah. pick them jay I, that that's uh, one of the things i was curious about i knew them okay <laughs> <laughs> you know it was uh i had like i said i i followed a few on twitter i met some at chaser con so there and just sort of that chaser network of, of people once you know someone in the community you follow them and they follow and and it sort of grows like that so you said that uh, I forget was it who was it Reed who said that you it looks like a math equation is that who it, no that was Miles at Environment Canada. So what equation do you have behind you right now? Uh, <laughs> the, actually, the piece behind me is uh, from a photo I took at my uh, son's rehearsal wedding rehearsal out at Buffalo Lake, Alberta. It was an outdoor um, event, and the rehearsal we had and incredible thunderstorm moved through across the lake either side of the storm was grapefruit size hail mm. and it split right over top of us we got oh some my. rain but the giant 120 person tent was not destroyed so i figured i had to immortalize that <laughs> that's beautiful that's I beautiful that i know really i want great. you to come to my wedding you know and just like <laughs> paint and do something you know that's that's amazing keep the hail away yeah. so what inspired you know your take and just you know on the weather and how how you actually manifest it into a painting and make it art well for years i mean i've always been interested in severe weather I, um my grandparents had a place a couple hours um south of us and we're right in the what we call hail alley uh, comes from the rockies up sort of northeast and with always lots of storms so lots of lightning to watch when i was a kid and then uh, of course in 1987 we had the black friday tornado here in edmonton which was an f4 yeah. um, it was i have a note here because it's pretty crazy uh it was an F4, uh, 19 mile long destruction path, Ooh. almost a mile wide, killed 27 ah. people, injured mm. more than 300. Wow. I, the craziest thing about it, uh, there's a photo and, and maybe I can pass it on to you, but we, uh, we have an oil ref several oil refineries here and the tornado actually flipped a giant, it was empty, but it was a, one of those huge oil storage tanks oh, wow. literally wow. flipped it right upside down oh my God. God, that's so, crazy and then and the other thing is i uh my parents bought a place at buffalo lake um, which is in central alberta in um 1998 and so i've spent summers winters all seasons there and they have the most amazing 
sunsets and clouds and storms. So I really started to develop an interest in doing the sky because we have great, great skies in Alberta. Mm -hmm. It's pretty flat and, and really lovely. And so I just started to paint. In 2013, I really started on this new journey about painting skies. And my skies were somewhat abstract. Um, swoopy is what a lot of people call them. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. yeah but uh, yeah. so over the last six years, it's really developed. And But I have to say that that uh, that chaser con was completely transformative it completely changed the way i looked at the weather i've actually become a storm chaser now um oh, wow. gone out in fact this year i went out without any help not even identifying where to go and i managed to find some really good storms wow, so good for you um so that that whole being there you know, feeling inflow, uh, just all that amazing stuff. And yet to have been caught in a hail core. So knock on wood. <laughs> I'd like to see that one. I mean, yeah, not yeah, even being yeah. in it, but I mean the picture. In, are you in the are you in the middle of a project now or are you what's your next one that you're working on? Do you know? Actually, I'm just painting storms. I really uh um the 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 sort of the official turbulent skies project was do the six pieces have a show and what i did with the show was each of the photos was blown up and put beside the painting that i did the paintings were 44 by 60 inches so they were fairly large oh, yeah. and i had the um the six photos blown up uh to a smaller size but still there were so those feet or inches uh, inches, yeah. Okay, so that could be so huge, 44 Four feet. foot by five foot. <laughs> Come okay. on, man. Well, I could have been a huge mural, you know. I, I'd like to see That's one true. of those as a mural. I'll, I'll do one if someone wants to hire me to do one. I'll absolutely do it. What are we talking, Jay? How much? Yeah, we'll, we'll talk after the show. It's uh, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. <laughs> uh, but, and then I actually posted the chase law. I did a chase blog for each of the chases and talked about what went right, what went wrong, how we did it. And uh, then there's some photos from that I took from the, 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 the individual chases. So um, that's kind of how that project went. And now that it's sort of officially over, I'm just painting storms. Jay, yeah, what's that it. website? What, what's the website where you've got uh, the, the blog and videos and photos of and the paintings? That's turbulentskies.ca. Nice. And then actually my, my main website, which has all of my work, is uh, earthskyart.ca. Okay. Nice. So and, how long does it take you to uh, complete an entire painting? Well, I'm getting faster at it, but the uh, six pieces that I did um, for the project took about a year. Wow. Um, it was mm. about 120, 140 hours in each, and I have a day job, so it's sort of after oh, work and weekends and stuff like that. So. Yeah, those are truly masterful pieces of art. Like, yeah. you don't find that anywhere. Like, well, thank you. It's the one thing that I really think that's uh, important about it is that whenever I show these pieces, um, I get a lot of 
interest from people about weather. It's like, it, it's almost like a science communications uh, kind of thing where I can, people say, well, why does it look like that? And I actually have studied a fair amount over the last couple of years. So, I mean, I'm certainly still an amateur, but I have the ability to say, well, you know, that's a shelf cloud or whatever. And, and this is what causes that and all those kinds of things. So I'm loving that tornado on your earth sky art. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. That yeah. one there. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, hang on. I got to get back to you. Yes, that one. Yes. There we go. Yeah. That's, that's cool. Mm -mm, that's mm -mm. actually based on a, a video of a screen capture of a video um, that's on YouTube. Uh, you can find it. It's called Outlook uh, 2014, Outlook Tornado 2014 or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, the thing I like about it is these the little tendrils that mm -hmm. show up uh -huh. at the top, you know, yeah. sort of above the funnel. And it uh, those, those kinds of things really uh, appeal to me. I think you captured, I think you captured the beauty and the evilness of it. That's what I see. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like there's both. And I think that's just incredible because I think storm chasers go out there and they see both. And I feel like you've really captured that in your painting. One of the things I really try to do is to convey the motion of a storm, which is hard to do in a, in a single image. And I also like to play with the color because depending on the storm, there's, can be a little bit flat if there's lots of rain or something it's quite gray so i like to push all of the colors and give it a just a tweak to say this is kind of what it was like to be there I so what, jay what's what's the future so you said the project's over you said you're still continuing to do storm art um what's the future you're going to keep doing that or or until I don't like storms anymore, which, okay. you know. <laughs> well, if you're, if you're chasing now, hopefully that'll stick around for a while. Yes. Yeah, actually, there's a, there's a few things. I was talking with one of my uh, storm chaser friends, and we might do a interesting little collaborative project over the summer. Um, cool. And just hopefully get out when this year was actually a decent year for for storms uh, 2018 was a complete bust because of fires so you know it was but it was a good year this year and uh, hopefully we'll get a good one next year lots and of do you mainly chase in canada or do you come down to the u.s and the plains so far um just in canada just in alberta pretty much so far okay nice but so so nice jay question out. for you is where now here's what everybody's going to want to know and especially with the holiday season coming up where where can they buy these prints and, and what kind of ways can they buy them? How much are they running? If, if you can give us an idea on that. Uh, well, uh, the, the project website, as I said, is turbulentskies.ca and it's got links to my main website, which has my store, which is earthskyart.ca. And uh, I have canvas prints, paper prints, mm. and the originals available as well. Um, the Paper prints start at $40 and go up um, to $75 for limited editions. And canvas prints are more than that, but uh, they're still pretty reasonable. Which one is this that I'm holding up right now with the tornado, with the, the funnel cloud? That one is actually uh, a photo or based on a photo by Beth Allen, who was on oh, the show sure. what, mm. a year ago. She was in our Women in Chasing show. Yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. Okay. I, so, I see her hair. 
<laughs> that that was actually in float. I was in a tornado, but uh... so th this one, just so you know, Jay, this one is now going to be on every episode of Stormfront Freaks podcast because it's nice. going to go behind me, sweet uh, on the show. But then awesome. uh, this this is the one that I think is. Hold on, wait. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Is this the one that's behind you? And this is a different one. No, that's, that's a different wow. one. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually based on a photo by another one of my project uh, photographers, uh, Chris Ratzlaff from Calgary. He's an amazing uh, photographer, chaser, and time-lapse guy. Which I can tell this baby's a wall cloud because uh, of how deep and low it is. Yeah, it was. it's just a stun. And he's cell, actually, yeah. like many of the things that I've done with Chris's photography, that's actually based on a uh, time lapse that he did and it oh was nice absolutely nice. stunning so so that's the one that i just showed that's the one that we're actually going to give away to somebody during our four weeks of christmas that's a print that someone's going to win that baby uh that's why you got to follow us but i'm telling you guys right now you've got to go check out jay's uh, websites and and see all the different because again you're, you're not going to really get this even on a video podcast right. let alone an audio podcast be able to really understand what he's doing so we'll put together some great show notes but but go to those websites and jay how, how can people follow you on social media what are your links there um i'm on uh, jay is painting um on pretty much everything and uh the turbulent skies my jay is painting account might be a little sweary sometimes because it's uh i do a little bit of politics i like it there. man go ahead <laughs> all right off for social media nothing wrong with that yeah but uh my the turbulent skies account uh is turbulent underscore skies on twitter and it's just plain old turbulent skies on instagram and it's and it's canadian politics right yeah and honestly alberta politics is about as messed up as u.s politics really Thank you for tuning in to the Stormfront Freaks podcast. You can watch our bi-weekly show live on youtube.com slash stormfrontfreaks and download the audio version on your favorite podcast player. For links to our Patreon team of exclusive benefits, show notes, past shows, new videos, merchandise, and more, visit our website at stormfrontfreaks.com. While you're there, check out our interactive chaser radar from our friends at zoomradar.com. If you'd like to contact us with questions or make comments about the show, shoot us an email to questions at stormfrontfreaks.com or follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. Search for Stormfront Freaks. We'd love to hear from you. Join us next time and tell a friend about the Stormfront Freaks podcast.